Welcome to Prism Bible, where we learn the Bible so we can live the story. God has a part for each of us to play, and to understand our purpose, we need to grasp the big, beautiful story that's unfolding in history. Join us today as we see the split of the kingdom. One kingdom becomes two, and another rebellion begins with a few new golden calves. You're listening to Prism Bible. God pronounced this judgment upon Solomon for his disobedience to God's law. He said, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, for the sake of your father David, I will not do it in your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom away from him. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Solomon had disobeyed God, marrying foreign women while breaking other laws that God gave to Israel's kings. And for Solomon's sins, God is going to split the kingdom. The glory of united Israel is about to fade. But don't miss the thread of continuity in God's judgment. David's tribe, the tribe of Judah, will maintain rule over Jerusalem. After all, God made promises to David, and God doesn't forget his promises. Soon the plot begins to thicken, and God announces coming events through one of his prophets. God's prophet is sent to someone who, thus far, is essentially unknown to the story. He's a servant of Solomon, and he apparently helped administer the labor used in some of Solomon's building projects in the nation. The servant's name is Jeroboam, and the prophet comes to Jeroboam with a symbolic act. The prophet comes to the man, takes a new piece of clothing, and rips it into twelve pieces. Then he says this to Jeroboam, Take ten pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and I will give you ten tribes. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand, because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David my servant, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and statutes. But I will take ten tribes of the kingdom from the hand of his son and give them to you. I will give one tribe to his son, so that my servant David will always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. As for you, I will take you and you shall reign over all that your heart desires and you will be king over Israel. Because of this, I will humble David's descendants, but not forever. God's prophet has announced the next phase of the Bible story. Jeroboam will rule over ten tribes of Israel, and Solomon's son will rule over the remainder. And it seems, Solomon soon hears of what this prophet has said to Jeroboam, and Solomon takes action. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, where he remained until the death of Solomon. Just as God said, it wouldn't be in Solomon's days that the kingdom earthquake would happen. Instead, it would be in the next generation. Now before we move on from this, we need to do some counting. We've learned that Jeroboam is going to receive ten tribes of the kingdom, and that Solomon's son will retain one tribe. But weren't there 12 tribes of Israel and 12 pieces of fabric that the prophet used? 
Well, yes. So let's briefly get into it. David Solomon and Solomon's son are in the tribe of Judah. And Judah is the tribe here being referenced as the one that Solomon's son would retain. He would have the loyalty of that tribe. But if Jeroboam was only going to get ten tribes in the kingdom split, two tribes would need to be ruled by Solomon's son, not just one. Well, apparently another tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, decided to keep allegiance to Judah and its kings rather than to go with the other ten tribes. Benjamin's territory was small, close to Judah's territory, and historically had a very close connection with the tribe of Judah. So it was natural for them to be counted with Judah rather than the other ten tribes. Apparently Judah was singled out because of its prominence rather than its exclusivity, as if it would be the only tribe to be ruled over by Solomon's son. To sum it all up, it would be ten tribes to be ruled by Jeroboam, and two tribes to be ruled by Solomon's son. But there's one additional item here that we don't want to miss. It's the way that the prophet makes his prophecy. Note that he uses a physical action to demonstrate the content of the prophecy. He tears a piece of clothing into twelve pieces and divides the pieces. This is a common occurrence in the Bible where prophets will, in a way, act out their prophecies or their message through small actions or, in some cases, major life decisions. Often they are commanded by God to do these things. These prophetic acts demonstrate intangible prophecies in a very tangible way to the hearers of God's words. The point is, we need to get used to this. Prophets often live out or act out the words that God has commanded them to announce. And this was one case of many when this prophet goes to the future king over ten tribes, Jeroboam. After Solomon's death, his son takes the throne next, and this is where things begin to rapidly unravel. Solomon's son is named Rehoboam, and Rehoboam does not have the wisdom of his father. This is exemplified in his decisions toward the people of Israel. These people are tired from all the building projects of Solomon. They need a break from building and they need some lighter work, so they decide to appeal to the new king to make them labor less than Solomon had required of them. Among those people, however, was the man we've already met, one who had fled to Egypt during Solomon's reign but was back. This was Jeroboam. Now that Solomon was dead, Jeroboam is back in Israel. Israel begins pleading for lighter labor under King Rehoboam, and the king decides to get some advice. He asks the old men who had helped advise Solomon, and he also asks some of the younger advisors his own age. The old men advise him to gently respond to the people, while the young men advise him to double down on the work that his father had required of them. Two different responses from two different generations. So Rehoboam, perhaps thinking that a presentation of strength might help his consolidation of power, he says this to Israel when they all meet up again. Whereas my father made your yoke heavy, I will add to your yoke. Whereas my father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. Rehoboam sides with his younger advisors and announces heavy labor and harsh discipline for the people of Israel, surely to the people's dismay. Rather than a gentle king, it appears they will get a haughty tyrant. And this development, well, it develops legs of its own. Years prior, the seeds of rebellion had been sown. They'd been watered for a few generations, and now, with this word from King Rehoboam, they sprout. The people respond like this. 
When all Israel saw that the king had refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What portion do we have in David, and what inheritance in the son of Jesse? To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, O David. So the Israelites went home, but Rehoboam still reigned over the Israelites living in the cities of Judah. So to this day, Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David. The kingdom has split. What the prophet foretold years prior has finally come to pass. The northern ten tribes were torn away from Rehoboam, and now Jeroboam would rule over the northern kingdom, while Rehoboam, Solomon's son, would retain rule over the southern kingdom of two tribes. In just a few days, new allegiances are set, and one kingdom had become two. The north rebelled, and the south was now small in size and insignificant in worldly power. But don't miss this. Note that the northern kingdom is described as being in rebellion against the house of David. God's choice to allow Jeroboam to rule over the ten northern tribes doesn't mean that God was rewarding righteousness on Jeroboam's part, nor that Jeroboam had earned it. Instead, God was using Jeroboam's rebellion to accomplish his judgment on Solomon's sin, a judgment that spilled over into the reign of his son. As if to underline this point, that this northern kingdom was a rebellious kingdom, we need only to see what they do almost immediately upon gaining independence. Jeroboam, desiring consolidation and stability, decides to go his own way. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom might revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, their hearts will return to their lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. Then they will kill me and return to Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves and said to the people, Going up to Jerusalem is too much for you. Here, O Israel, are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. One calf he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan, and this thing became a sin. The people walked as far as Dan to worship before one of the calves. Jeroboam also built shrines on the high places and appointed from every class of people priests who were not from the tribe of Levi. Did you hear the nearly direct quote embedded in Jeroboam's statement to the people? You read almost the exact same words way back in Exodus chapter 32. Right after Aaron makes the golden calf for Israel, the people say this, These, O Israel, are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Jeroboam is either so ignorant of the law that he ironically and unknowingly quotes the rebellion at Sinai, or he's familiar enough with the law that he purposely quotes the rebellion. Either way, these words are a significant indictment on Jeroboam's leadership and on the northern kingdom. It's a kingdom of rebellion. But we don't just have the statement of rebellion, we have the emblem of it too. Not one golden calf like at Sinai but two here made by Jeroboam. The king makes them so that the northern ten tribes won't go back to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, and instead they'll worship these golden images. We can already tell in the first days of the northern kingdom, this isn't going to end well. After the political rebellion of splitting the kingdom, the signs of rebellion against God's law to the nation are already showing. Just as the golden calf was a signal of Israel's rebellion in the wilderness, so here, the northern kingdom already proves a rebellion against God that's going to get worse from here.
Despite this rebellion, however, we continue to see something highlighted over and over again. We keep seeing David's name. Long after David has died, his name is still in constant use, and he's consistently referenced. This is important because David's name itself becomes an emblem. An emblem of promises, not of a past king, but of a coming king. A king forever associated with David by virtue of those promises in the Davidic covenant. Somehow, a kingly seed of David will appear out of this small kingdom, now a shell of its former glory. The seed will come, and he will rule over an everlasting kingdom. All this mention of David is a constant reminder to us as we read, Just as God has not forgotten his covenant with Abraham, he will not forget his covenant with David. He will preserve David's tribe, the tribe of Judah, and he will preserve the lineage of David until that one future king comes. Despite the rebellion of the northern kingdom of Israel, a future king will rule on David's throne over a reunited Israel. Join us next time as we zoom in on the rebellious kingdom of Israel in the north. We'll meet an evil king and see his response to Elijah, one of the most famous prophets in the whole story. Don't forget to download the Prism Bible app, our mobile app to help you learn the Bible. In addition to this podcast content, we have Bible readings, summaries, and quiz questions on the app to help you get the most out of every lesson. Prism Bible is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping you learn the Bible.